Glory to Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This morning our Lord tells a parable. This parable rooted in scripture tells the story of a vineyard where the vine owner, the vineyard owner, has set those over it and the servants have rejected. Our Lord is very specific. Some are stoned. They are killed in various ways. Then the owner says, I'm going to send my son. This is not one of the harder parables, I think. It seems to be pretty obvious. They reject the son because they believe that they can take it for themselves. We know this is, of course, the story of Israel, as our Lord, after this pericope, talks about how our Lord will take from those who have been in charge and basically given, give the kingdom to others. This is the story of Israel, where God himself sends prophets, sends even and allows them to have kings, to bring them into the fulfillment of the kingdom. He even sends his son, whom, as our Lord at the very end, quoting scripture, says, the builders have taken the chief cornerstone, the stone that was to become the chief cornerstone by God, and then they've rejected it. When you were building a building in the ancient world, the chief cornerstone was everything. This is still a basic idea. You need, in order to make sure everything is going to actually be able to you know, vertically go up, you need to make sure all of your lines are straight. So the chief cornerstone is which everything else in the building is calculated from. But what we have in those who worked in the vineyard, they did not understand, well, I'll just be frank, they did not understand God. They did not understand what God wanted and what God would choose as the chief cornerstone. The rejection of the person of Jesus Christ is almost always a rejection of actually his teachings and what his claims to be the son of God. Reject his teachings because they can be heavy or they can seem burdensome. Or they seem maybe like they need to be updated. That there's something about them that's out of style. That doesn't really, because the builders, right, they're going to measure, they're going to figure out this cornerstone, which stone they're going to use. They don't have the right measurements. And so with our Lord and his teachings, and therefore also the teachings of his apostles, there are many who measure these teachings up. And they'd find them lacking. They may even call themselves churches or followers of Christ, but they have decided that the chief cornerstone needs a little hewing here or there, maybe a little, you know, chip off aspects of it. We see this really clearly in this rejection of the Son of God and his teachings and even apostolic teachings by just looking in the New Testament, in the epistles themselves. And this morning we're going to spend a little bit of time in 1 Corinthians where we see the fruit of St. Paul's missionary work. 
Well, we see the fruit of St. Paul's missionary work with a very long letter addressing all sorts of stuff. If you have the idea that the early church was a pristine time to be a Christian, well, it wasn't. <laughs> there was all sorts of trouble. There's always been trouble. Or there's always been challenges. There's always been sin from the very beginning. St. Paul's missionary work, as we see reflected in the letter to Corinth, we see St. Paul, and this is especially as St. John Chrysostom sees Paul, he is a father who molds and shapes, he encourages, he lauds, and then at the same time, he has very specific pointed things to say, because there's a lot of trouble in Corinth. Can anyone remember some of the trouble in Corinth? Some of these are kind of Hall of Fame examples, but anyone remember some trouble in Corinth? Anybody? No? Nobody wants to say? Yeah, there we go. There's a Hall of Famer. Someone was sleeping with uh, their dad's mother, if I remember correctly. Stepmother. Yes. Which Paul says, you know, that's quite a thing. Not even the Gentiles. So I think people outside of the church uh, manage this. So we have sexual issues. But the very beginning of the book, right? I am of Cephas. I am of Cephas. I am of Apollos. Paul even says, I'm glad I only baptized two of you because otherwise... Half the church would be dedicated to Paul. Half the church dedicated to Apollos, right? You have strife. You have all these little groups. You have those who are looking down at others because of socioeconomic or the money that they make or the lack thereof. They're not sharing at the meal. You also have, not so those are kind of some moral issues. You also have the rejection of, of the resurrection. We have those who think that they can live however they want because the resurrection or the implications of the resurrection allow them to do whatever they want with their body. Paul is very clear throughout the book of Corinthians about sin and theological errors of the faithful. And is why when we come to the end of 1 Corinthians where our reading was this morning, that we can hear very clearly St. Paul's admonition, his encouragement to those in Corinth. He tells them, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, and be strong. St. John Chrysostom tells us that St. Paul is not saying these things as advice. He is actually reprimanding them as being indolent because he says Paul says watch because they're asleep he says stand because they're not standing firm they're wobbly they're going to and fro he tells them I like the older King James version here quit ye like men because they were playing the coward to watch to be vigilant, to maintain spiritual vigilance. 
This is one of the primary responsibilities of followers of Christ. That we keep a flame lit for Christ. That we are not falling asleep, that we're not coasting, but that we are, because if you are on the watch and you are on the wall, there's trouble, there's danger, and you need to be awake. Because it is you who's going to sound the bell. It is you who's going to need to be ready and rouse the troops to watch, to be ready, to stand without being knocked about, to be solidly grounded in scripture and the tradition and teaching of the church, to have your feet firmly planted in our Lord and his teachings, and the teachings of the apostles. This is why we hear elsewhere in scripture that those who are tossed to and fro by every wave of doctrine, that they seek and can never seem to find because they've never actually rooted themselves in scripture. And one of the things I find, especially with this particular challenge, that's right, that's not good, is just a basic lack of knowledge. A rejection of what Christ or the church teaches because of not actually being familiar with what Christ teaches and what the church teaches. But to actually stand and have our feet to be like in the Psalms, that tree that's planted by the waters, those are deep roots. Not being knocked around. If there's something that you're wondering about, to seek advice and counsel from the priest. From one who is specifically, especially the teaching of St. John Chrysostom and throughout scripture, is supposed to be apt to teach. That is what they're there for. Otherwise, you can't maintain, you cannot focus, you cannot grow, because you're just like the waves. Quit ye like men, to be brave, to actually have courage. Feel like courage is one of these virtues that we don't underline enough, but it is throughout Scripture. The need in the face of adversity, of the face of something happening that you may not like or you don't want to happen, but you need to have the courage to say it, to do it. This is what Paul not only commends, but commands and points to. Be vigilant. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave and be strong. To be strong, to persevere, to not give up, to look at the example of the saints, at the example of Christ. We have the great example of St. Anthemus this morning, who died during one of, there's a little bit of a debate, either during Diocletian or Maximian's persecutions. And these are some of the greatest persecutions of the early Christian church. Thousands being killed for confessing Christ. Bishop Anthemus, because he was bishop and at the encouragement of his flock, He goes and he hides because there's slaughter all around him. In hiding, he still writes 
letters of encouragement. One of these letters is discovered, and he is outed, and the emperor sends a contingent of troops to find him. Well, of all possibilities, or all coincidences that could happen, they meet each other on the road, this contingent of soldiers and the bishop. The soldiers don't recognize him. They don't know who he is. And as they're traveling together, he invites them to sit and eat with him. And as they're sitting and eating with him, the soldiers suddenly recognize who they're eating with. Now, the soldiers are torn. They've grown to like Bishop Anthemus. And they wanted to leave, and they told him, we'll never tell the emperor, we just say, we'll just say, we never found you. But Bishop Anthemus said, no, do not lie. And he was taken by the soldiers. Now, along the way to meet the emperor, the soldiers were converted to Christianity, and they received holy baptism by the one they had in tow, the Bishop Anthemus. Now, Bishop Anthemus, he's brought to the emperor. The emperor brings out the instruments of execution. And Bishop Anthemus looks at him and he says, Emperor, do you think this is going to frighten me? These tools of execution? No, St. Anthemus says. You cannot frighten one who wishes to die for Christ. Execution is frightening only for the cowardly, for whom the present life is the most precious. The emperor, of course, did not like this, and we now commemorate St. Anthemus as a hieromartyr. St. <laughs> Anthemus, in the face where he could have run away, he could have said, yes, please go lie for me. I'm going to find another place to hide. He says, no. And is that example of courage, that example of faith, that example, of course, of hospitality, that these soldiers, who are also killed with him, convert to Christ. They see in this man one who is spiritually vigilant, one who stands and is not going to be rocked, one who has courage in the face of death, and one who is strong, who perseveres. But with all of this, St. Paul does not leave it at this kind of portrait of like a hero, right? A strong man, a Hercules or something. He says, let all that you do be done with love. Because without love, vigilance over one's heart or vigilance over the teachings of the church or standing firmly in the teachings of Christ in the church or having courage or strength without love None of that stuff actually matters. That love is what brings all of it to fruition. Love is what completes it. As St. Paul tells the Corinthians just a few chapters earlier, where he extols love, and we're very used to hearing probably, you don't hear this in the Orthodox Church, but this chapter, right? The chapter of love of 1 Corinthians 13. It's actually a very practical chapter. This is not just a a hymn to love in the context of marriage. This is a very practical thing because he's dealing with 
sin and strife and all sorts of, I want to have power. I wish I had this gift and this. He says, and all of these things, right? Even if you were to speak all of the languages of the world and even the language of the angels, but you have love, you just sound like a cymbal, right? A clanging gong, just sounding brass. There's nothing to understand. Even if you're able to prophesy and you understand everything, all mysteries, have all knowledge and have all faith, and you can move mountains, just as our Lord said, right? It's a seed of mustard. If you just had that, you could move mountains. But if you have, do not have love, Paul says, you're nothing. And though you give everything to feed the poor, you even give your body to be burned, to martyrdom, but you don't have love, it doesn't profit you anything. So to be vigilant, to stand on the teachings of the church, to have courage, to persevere with strength, it is nothing without love. Because love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself about. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil of others. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is what should drive us to vigilance. Love is what makes us vigilant. Love is what makes us stand firmly on the teachings of the church. As we see Paul saying here, it does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Love has courage because it can bear all things. As St. John Chrysostom in talking, I highly recommend the homily, the two homilies that cover 1 Corinthians 13 by St. John Chrysostom. He talks about a man who is fully driven by love is like he is St. Gabriel walking on earth because no matter what happens to him, he loves. He turns the other cheek. He can bear all things. He can suffer all things. He can be kind. This is what Paul and what the teachings of Christ, this is the aim. This is the goal. To become like God himself. Yes, there is say structure. There is the need for the teachings of the church. There is the need for looking for the right path in obedience to commandments. But without love, our vigilance, our obedience, our courage, our strength are for nothing. So brothers and sisters, let us keep the goal of love in our vigilance, in our standing firm, in all of the courage that we summon and the strength to persevere. Let it be driven by the love of God and the love of others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.